All right, good morning, church. You have your Bibles. We'll be in Acts chapter 16 today. Uh, man, I was just so excited. I was bummed that I missed uh, the Christmas holiday here in Alaska. And I was like, man, it's December 26th, 27th, whatever today is. I don't know. I traveled yesterday. I'm all confused. And I thought, why let Christmas die? And so I am rocking this holiday outfit. The, the, the elders had encouraged me to continue to be a light to our community, and, and so I'm just taking them literally. Now, I'm gonna just going to use this as we speak today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter... Now, it looks like some of you guys are... Is that a little distracting, Rana? I see her kind of stroking out a little bit. I don't know if that's my blinking light. I'll tell you what, Rana. So that you won't be distracted, so that you can hear my message... I'm going to remove the distractions. You're welcome. I'm going to take off my lights. The Santa hat, is that too much too? Is that, I could, I could, I could do some preaching headbanging. That would be kind of fun. I'll tell you what, in, in a very obvious object lesson, I'm going to remove the distractions so that you can hear the content of my message. Does that sound good? All right, so there we go. Um, if this morning we are going to be talking about distractions that can hinder our message as followers of Jesus. Now, this is the last Sunday of 2020. You know, all God's people said. <laughs> uh, it's been pretty cray-cray for Shay-Shay. Uh, but we, we, you know, I was remembering last week, I was reading in the Psalms, and what a beautiful passage. I was reading in Psalm 65, and it says, God, you crown the year with your goodness. And in the midst of the craziness, we've seen a good God continue to be good and still be on his throne. Amen. And that same God will still be good and he'll still be God in 2021. But this year has been filled with distractions as Jesus followers. Um, every year it is. As long as we live in a sinful world, it will be distracting to some degree. And yet this year we've seen this pandemic amplify uh, distractions in many ways. And so as we turn the page, this is our last Sunday in 2020, I want us to ask, how do we refocus our hearts? That, that we come and we say, how should we live as believers? What should we be focused on? And of course, we want to let God's word inform the answer to those questions. Now, next week, as we mentioned, we're going to be starting a new sermon series on First and Second Timothy. Um, we're going to be looking at the two letters that Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy. But before we do that, we're going to look this morning at a little of the background of the relationship with uh, of, of how Paul met Timothy. Um, we're going to ask the question, how do they meet, and, and what implications does that have for us today? I love a good how do they meet story, don't you? Uh, the, the story of boy met girl, right? And they both had circle heads. Um, we, sometimes, I, one of my favorite questions to ask a couple, how did you guys meet? And, and, and sometimes you can just see as they look into each other's eyes and just sort of mentally skip, frolic back down memory lane. And they, they kind of melt and, and kind of feel that Twitter patient uh, all over again. But some, of, some people, especially some of the older couples I'll ask, they just kind of stare at each other blankly. They're like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> like, who, am I still with you? Okay. And we have counseling set up for all these kind of things. But um, my, my mom and dad met firmly in the 70s, as, as noted here. Uh, Mr. Mustache, uh, clearly not social distancing, right? Uh, so he, they met actually at a church in Ashland. She, the church secretary, he, the snazzy new intern. And he found all these reasons day after day to need to come and make copies, which was crazy. They didn't even have copy machines invented yet, but he, he, was, he was doing that. 
I'm sorry, I love you guys. Um, so, but we learn a lot about uh, our, our, uh, the people in our lives and, and, the, and the how they met uh, stories, right? And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story of how Paul met Timothy. And, and just like you learned some vital things about my parents in those pictures, uh, we're going to learn some vital things about Paul and Timothy and, and the gospel in their story. The story is going to help inform us and how we should and how we do remove distractions in our lives so that people can hear and see the gospel in and through us. We're going to look at the development of their relationship. We're going to look at a distraction removed, and we're going to look at the delivered results. My alliteration game is on point this morning. First of all, the relationship is developed. Uh, if, you, if you do have your Bibles, I was serious, go to Acts 16. Uh, we're going to be uh, kind of based out of these first five verses this morning. So look at verse 1. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So short and sweet, there it is. Paul meets Timothy. Now, to, to zoom back out for a second, the book of Acts, which is, of course, where this story is embedded, is, is a story about how the good news of Jesus rising from the dead was spread from the Jewish people to all nations. And we see that was what Jesus commanded, right? Told his disciples, go out and make disciples of all nations. So the book of Acts is just them carrying out his order, spreading the gospel. So Paul himself has been called by God to be the sent one to the Gentiles, which is just a word meaning the non-Jewish people. He's spreading the gospel to these Gentiles. And he does that in the book of Acts over three different missionary journeys. Now, in Acts 16, we're going to pick it up in the second of these three missionary journeys. And you can see the route of the second journey outlined here. And in Asia Minor, that's the Mediterranean Sea, uh, the Middle East. And you can see here today, in verse 1, it said he was at Lystra and at Derby. Now, this is the same place he was at five years earlier on his first trip. So he and Barnabas have planted churches there as the gospel was preached and people came to faith. And in Paul's first trip there, he actually, the first thing he did was he healed a lame man. And everybody just flipped out, like, who is this guy? They actually started praising him and Barnabas, thinking that they were some sort of Greek god, the two of them. And, and when he said, no, 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 I'm not, and he preached about the gospel and that Jesus is God, they actually quickly turned on him. They stoned him, thought that he was dead, and drug him out of the city. Paul stands up and walks right back into the city to keep preaching the gospel, right? I mean, this dude is like Jewish Chuck Norris. I don't know how he does it, but he just keeps going and keeps preaching the gospel. And so he's back again now in the second missionary journey. He goes back to the place that he was almost killed. So either he is off his rocker or he is compelled by his Lord and Savior to do whatever it takes even suffering and dying, which he will eventually do so that sinners would come to know their Savior. And in verse 1, he continues, it says, He, Timothy, or verse 2, excuse me, uh, He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So very likely, Timothy had heard of Paul and probably even seen Paul. It's a small town in his first missionary journey. And that would have obviously left a mark on Timothy. But apparently the feeling was mutual. As Paul hears of Timothy's reputation, as he sees that he is a follower of Jesus, he says, this is the kind of guy I want on my team. And so he invites him to follow him on this second missionary journey. And what a reminder in 2021 as we say, how do we step into the next year? Well, one of the simple answers is that we do it together. That we are not called to walk this road alone. 
And then we found ourselves in a difficult year, right? In the spiritual trenches in a lot of different ways. It's been hard. It's been divisive. It's been, it's been confusing, right? It's been frustrating. Tested all of our patience. And, and what we see here is that we need each other. We need fellow believers who will walk the road with us to encourage us, to call us out when we need to be called out, to point us to Jesus, to give us hope when we need hope. And so we ask, do you have, do I have people in our lives that will help us point out when we are distracted and help us refocus. And, and we do this thing in community. So the relationship, though, as it starts here, gets off to a very strange beginning. The second thing we can see is a removal of a distraction. A removal of a distraction. So verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Hello. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul, you have a strange way of making friends. What's going on here? Why does he have Timothy be circumcised? Now, we're going to talk about this idea of circumcision today, and I'm not going to get graphic with it. You can ask your parents when you get home if you want to know more information. Um, But some quick and needed background information. God's plan to save planet Earth, the humankind, he, he starts with a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make your nation great, and it's going to become what we know to become the people of Israel. And he says, through your nation, I'm actually going to bless all nations, save all nations. Jesus came from the Jewish people. Now, what we see here is that he says, I will be your God. And they enter into this special covenant relationship, Israel and, and God, Abraham's family. And, to, and part of being God's family, part of being included in this blessing, in this covenant that they make together, is that every male would enter into the covenant by circumcision on the eighth day of their life. Um, and, and otherwise, in Genesis 17, it says this, if you don't, if the male is not circumcised, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So he says, if you fail to, to do this symbol that I've called you to do, you will be cut off. And we'll just leave that pun sitting right there on the table and continue on. Uh, you will be removed from God's people. The covenant is, is broken. And sort of like a marriage covenant today, when you put the ring on, a much less painful uh, ritual, um, you make your vows before witnesses and you enter into this covenant relationship. And just like a marriage, this circumcision was a symbol of their faithful relationship to God. Now, Jesus came to fulfill God's promise to Abraham. And as we see from the beginning, it wasn't just to bless the people of Israel, but it was through Israel that all nations would be blessed. And again, this is what we're seeing in the book of Acts. Remember, right at the beginning, he said, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, but then to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is essentially this, this huge transition from God primarily working in and through Israel to now bringing to himself people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, bringing them into his covenant blessing and promise of salvation. Now, the Jewish people thought, okay, well, if if the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are joining into these promises of God, then then they need to be circumcised too, right? Because that's the symbol. And in the Old Testament, if you were to convert... That is what happened, to be fair. This is what they were coming out of. And in the book of Acts, we now see these Jewish Christians trying to force the Gentile Christians to get circumcised. So they have this council of of elders here in this early church in Acts 15. They get together, and as they talk it through, they say, does this line up with what we know, this this gospel that Jesus came preaching, the way to be saved? And they conclude, you remember what what Paul said in Romans 4? He said Abraham was actually made right with, with God through what? Not circumcision. By faith, 
In fact, he, he was made right by faith before he was even circumcised. So he says those who are brought into this covenant family with Abraham are not those who have been circumcised. Ultimately, it's those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And what they conclude at this, uh, this Jerusalem council is this. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Jew and Gentile alike are not saved by any work only the work of their own working, but the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. So what we see here is Paul himself, actually, he, he takes umbrage with anybody who tries to enforce the works of the law, including circumcision, on somebody to be saved. Paul is at his, um, his angriest in the book of Galatians. And there is this man named Titus who's a Gentile, and these fake Jewish believers are trying to force Titus to get circumcised in order to be saved. And what Paul says, he has a little talk with these leaders, and he tells them a little bit about the gospel. And, and, and with all that said, why in the world is Paul having Timothy be circumcised here? Like, doesn't that seem to go against everything he just preached? Salvation alone, through, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So why is he telling Timothy to get circumcised? Well, we want to look at the context here and show that Paul is actually not being a hypocrite. And he's not denying the gospel. Let's look at his motive and his goal here. Uh, back in verse 1, it said that Timothy is the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy's in this kind of unique category where his mom's a Jew and his father is a Gentile, a Greek. Now, verse 3 states why he has Timothy do this. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who were in those places. For, all, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Everywhere that Timothy is about to go, or Paul's about to go and take Timothy with him, there are Jews in those cities. So why the circumcision? Well, according to Jewish law, if your mother was a Jew, you were considered a Jew. So the Jewish community would have considered him a part of their covenant family with God. But his father was a Greek. And because he was raised in a Greek household, he was not circumcised. So in the eyes of the Jewish world, his mom would have been seen as a virtual traitor because she had married outside of the Jewish family, which they weren't told not to do. And then here's Timothy, this, this one who was uncircumcised. So to them, they see a Jewish person who has, by what he has not done, getting circumcised, has renounced his God, his faith, his people. And remember what, when Paul said, I go to the Jew first and the Gentile second, when, whenever Paul went into a town, the first place he would go was into the synagogue, which was the Greek, was the center of Jewish learning in each of the cities. And so who would be in the synagogues? The Jewish people. Now, they wouldn't even let Timothy through the door if he's a Jew who has not been circumcised. If Paul is bringing Timothy with him to preach the gospel, they're not even going to give him audience if he's not circumcised. And so here's the difference between Paul telling Titus to not get circumcised, but having Timothy do it. It comes down to context and motive. So Titus, uh, in the Titus, the context is these false brothers, these Jewish people who are claiming to be believers and saying, for you, Gentile, to be saved, you must be circumcised. So the motive here was what we call legalism, that you will be saved by keeping the law. If you are circumcised, then you will be made right in God's sight. Whereas in Timothy, the context here is unbelieving Jews. These are those who are not yet walking with Jesus. And so Paul, in order to remove a distraction from this Jewish audience in the synagogue, he has Timothy get circumcised, not out of legalism to get Timothy saved. He's already a follower of Jesus. 
But his motive is not one of legalism. It's a motive of love. So that these Jewish men and women might come to know Jesus as their Savior. And so the distraction is removed. And what's the result? Number three, the results are delivered. They go on their way through the cities. And they bring this news of the Jerusalem Council and what they've decided. And they go to the synagogues and they go to the churches to encourage them. And look at the result in verse 5. This is so sweet. The churches were strengthened in their faith. And they increased in numbers daily. The result, Paul and Timothy are able to go together to gain access into the synagogues. These Jewish men and women hear the gospel. The the number of the church increases every day. People are getting saved. The lost are being found. And it says the found are being strengthened. Discipleship is happening because of the decisions that they made. This is what Paul was all about. Reaching the lost and strengthening the found. And that's what we are to be all about as well. That should be the goal of our lives. And so we too must be willing to remove distractions. And this is what I want to kind of bear down on us in this morning in God's word is to say, how do we remove distractions? Two things I want us to consider. A, we remove distractions so people can focus on the gospel. So people can focus on the gospel. This is Paul's heart, and he clearly presents this in, in 1 Corinthians 9. You can flip over there with me if you'd like. God is, Paul's going to unpack his God-inspired views here, and even the title, Paul surrenders his rights. That can be a convicting sentence right there in the ESV. This is just the heading. Paul surrenders his rights. Now, he looked at what he says, verse 1. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? He says, I've been freed by Jesus. I've been freed from sin, freed from death, freed from condemnation. And I'm I'm under no obligation to gain, earn, keep God's approval by anything that I do, any works of the law. Because I'm an apostle. I've been sent. I'm I'm following Jesus. I've been sent under the authority of Jesus. And so he goes. Now, look at what he says here next. In this freedom, I have freedom to do anything. But then he lists some of his specific freedoms. Because as a believer, I can eat eat anything, drink anything to the glory of God with thanksgiving. Remember, the Jewish people had, a, had a, a kosher diet, right, that they were walking in. And Peter in Acts, Acts has shown, no, no, no. Actually, as believers, we're free to eat anything. So he says, I have freedom to eat anything I want. I also am free to eat meat that have been, has been offered to idols, which is, again, a taboo thing that they would have seen. Because idols aren't, these are just idols. There's nothing weird going on in the meat, right? They're not, there's not, the, the meat's not possessed. I'm free to eat that meat. And then he also says, I'm free, and this is my favorite one, free to receive support for gospel preaching. Right? Amen. Those who preach the gospel are worthy of double honor. Wow. So what we see here is Paul, he says, I have a right. If I'm going to preach the gospel, I have a right to receive from you support. Money, uh, food, shelter. Right? Do not muzzle the ox, baby. I don't know what, how does an ox sound? I don't know. I'm from the city. Uh, but in verse 12, it says, but we have never used this right. He has these rights here. He's specifically talking about being able to get money for his preaching to them. He says, we would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. I love his heart here. He goes, I'm willing to surrender any right if it will what? Remove an obstacle for people hearing and seeing the gospel. Of course, Paul could eat meat offered to idols, right? He could eat it. And he could do it in front of somebody, mmm, meat, right? He could, and, and, and with, but if, if, that is, if there's a weaker brother sitting there watching it and compelled to do the same thing that he knows is wrong, Paul says, that would be sinful of me. He, he says, I could d- demand that as I'm preaching to these people, I could demand support. But one of the things that was happening at this time were these traveling preachers were just in it for the money. 
They just they saw it as a way to make some cash. And so Paul says, I want to make sure that you know I'm not in this for what I can gain. I'm in it for what I can give you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach free 99. I'm going to remove the distraction. I'm not going to receive that support that I could ask from you. I could demand of you. I'm not going to do that. So you know that my motive is pure. And of course, he could tell Timothy, you don't have to get circumcised, right? They got to deal with it. But he knows I would rather Timothy, <laughs> thanks for doing that on Timothy's behalf, Timothy get circumcised than lose audience with these Jewish souls where eternity is at stake. He summarizes his view here at the end of the chapter 9. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. He says, I'm, I'm, a, slave, I'm a slave to no other man. I'm a slave of Christ. So I do what he says. And look at what he says. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to that law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. So he says, I, I'm not putting myself back under the law in order to earn approval with God. But those who are living like this, I'll live how they're living so that there is not a distraction or a barrier in me preaching. That's why he had Timothy circumcised. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So when I'm with Gentiles who don't, don't operate under the, the Jewish law, I don't have to either. But I am still, <laughs> I am still... I am still, Jesus is still my master. I am still his slave. So I will always, I always answer to him and do what he says to do. And then finally, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save them. So he says, some with weaker consciences, that I know I have freedom to do something, that they would believe they're sinning if they do it. I'm not going to do it. Because I might encourage them to do the very thing that will violate their conscience. And I don't want to do that. And he sums it up in verse 23. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. The blessing of the good news of who Jesus is, the freedom that he's brought. He says, I want to do anything to be able to promote that, to point people toward Jesus and his message. So what we see here is Paul is asking, he's telling us we need to be asking the right questions. Listen, you and I have decisions we have to make every day. And it's not black and white. There's not, there's not, always, not always a chapter and verse in the Bible that tells you what you're supposed to be doing. And not, it's not always crystal clear like that. There's a lot of gray area. So what he's showing us here is we need to make sure that we're asking the right question in the first place. So he says, the question is not, what can I do to exercise and protect my freedoms, my rights, my comforts? When I'm making a decision... It shouldn't be primarily, how can I make sure I'm comfortable? How can I make sure my rights and freedoms are being held on to? But he says here, well, the takeaway I have here is, what, what question is he asking? What can I do to remove unnecessary distractions from pointing people to Jesus? I want to be the clearest window possible so that they will see through my actions and through my words, they'll see and know and make much of Jesus Christ. Now, we, this can strike a, a bit of a sensitive chord with us as, as American Christians. Worth, listen, we are thankful for our rights, our freedoms, and the comforts that we have that most other nations in the course of human history have not known or enjoyed. And we thank God for those. We vote toward those. We have a voice toward those. Hear me on that. But here's the issue that I see in each of our hearts, that there are different ways in which we take these good things that we can be thankful for, and we make them idols. In other words, we make them the main goal in our life. 
And our main goal is not to preserve and exercise our rights and our freedoms and our comforts. Our main goal in life is to make disciples of all nations. It's to know Jesus and make him known. So we ask the question, how can I do that best, Lord? So a couple of, of examples here. Um, so for me, I, I love wearing shorts, as, as shown to you by this short montage. Short montage. <laughs> Woo! All right. Second sermon. I just got home late last night. Um, I, I hate wearing pants. I hate wearing long pants. Let's clarify. I, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a tweet out of context. If I had my druthers, I would wear shorts year-round, even in the Alaskan winter. And I started a, uh, preaching occasionally here about 10 years ago. And uh, the first time, first couple times I preached in shorts because I just always had shorts on. That's just kind of, I didn't even think about it. Um, now, wearing shorts isn't sinful, right? I have freedom, freedom to rock those shorts, baby. Uh, but I, what I found is there were some people who would get hung up on that. Pastors don't preach in shorts. Pastors preach in pants, right? Now, Justin, you might say, it's a free country, you have the right to wear pants, to wear shorts. You have the right to bear arms and legs. Thank you. I workshopped that one. 9 a.m., didn't think it was as funny. Uh, what kind of an attitude, though, would it be to say, I don't care, because there are people who might tune me out or might not even come, because here's the deal. The gospel is the power unto salvation, right? Not me it's the, the message that I'm declaring. And I want people to hear that message. So what kind of an attitude would say, no, I'm more concerned about my rights to wear shorts than someone to hear the message. My priorities are off kilter if that's the case. So I haven't worn shorts since. I'm up here sweating for Jesus, right? <laughs> so in some cultures, that might be in certain areas of the United States, that might mean wearing a shirt and a tie or even a suit. And if I lived in a place like that, it would be easy to know what to do. I would just move, right? That would be <laughs> straightforward. <laughs> Got to know your non-negotiables. Um, this, listen, and this is also, this is, I'm not talking about people-pleasing. I'm not talking about earning someone's approval. I don't wear shorts. That's a pretty obvious one. But I'm also not polling our Facebook group each week. Like, who, what should I wear? Do I look good in mauve? What do you guys think, right? Like, I'm not here to, it's not a fashion show. I'm in fact, I'm actually trying to remove distractions because it's not about me. That's why I took the Santa hat off. That's why I took the flashing, epileptic-inducing uh, lights off of my neck so that you could focus on the message. What's important is that people hear that God loves them and that they are sinners that Jesus died to save. Now, of course, there are some extremes to avoid, and, and we... We remove distractions so they can focus on the message, but B, we never compromise the gospel. We never compromise the gospel. If someone said, Justin, I like your preaching, but I don't like when you preach about sin. That offends me. Well, listen, I'm sorry. I love you, and actually it's because I love you that I have to tell you the truth. It would not be loving to say, everybody's good. We're just holding hands and frolicking. Right? No, the, the gospel is that we are sinners that Jesus saved. You cannot remove that without compromising the gospel. So we have our non-negotiables. My wife Jill went on a mission trip a few years back to the Middle East, and you know, in a Muslim culture, they will, they will cover up more skin than we do here in the West. Now that didn't, that didn't affect, she's not doing that to be saved. She's not doing that because she thinks that she has to. She was doing it so that these people would come to know Jesus and didn't want the burqa to become a distraction, a barrier. But she also didn't compromise the gospel. She didn't tell them, Allah, Jesus, whatever. No, we're going to preach the truth. And actually, if you do that in a Muslim context, you're going to get in trouble. 
And that's why Paul didn't want to get Timothy to get circumcised, because it compromised the gospel. I would say it this way. We would, should be glad to do anything that doesn't violate God's word. If it does not go against an explicit command of Scripture... See, we're not going, oh, I got a buddy who loves getting drunk on the weekends, and if I get drunk with him, hey, all things to all men. No, we know that God's heart, he says, don't get drunk on wine, right? So we do anything that doesn't violate God's word so that people would come to know Jesus. But the reality is you and I are preaching an unpopular message to, by and large, an ungrateful audience that does not want to hear it, that does not buy it. Jesus led the way in this, right? He spoke the truth, and he was killed for it. So we want to do anything in our presentation that might offend, might distract, right? Or might cause a barrier to be formed so that the gospel can do its convicting, right? Our message is plenty offensive enough. We don't need to add barriers and distractions. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. We need to know as believers there's nothing we could have done, nothing we can do to earn God's favor, to keep God's favor. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. We're free from sin, free from death, free from condemnation. Well, here's what he says, verse 13. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. He says, you are free, but you're not free to do whatever you want. You're not free to indulge your own sinful desires. You're free to lay down your life so that others can know Jesus. For the whole law can be summed up, he says in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And I'm afraid that in this period of time, we've gotten too bound up in fighting and backbiting and devouring each other. Trying to be right. Trying to prove our point. Instead of majoring on the majors and making sure that there's as few distractions as possible so the world can know that Jesus loves them and died for them to save them. So we use our freedoms, but not for ourselves, for the sake of other people. I was thinking about this message a couple Saturdays ago. I was driving to uh, Walmart, and I was asking myself, what's my main purpose here in going to Walmart? So, of course, in some ways, I was, you know, on a task to get some water softener pellets and sunflower seeds. Bit of a salt theme going on there. But more so, what am I here? I'm I'm here for the reason I'm I'm anywhere that I am. I'm a follower of Jesus, right? I'm, I'm on mission, no matter where I am. And so I was thinking, how do I enter? I mean, something as simple as going to the the store, how do I enter into Walmart to do everything I can to point people to Jesus? And it was amazing how much that transformed the way that I walked around Walmart. Like when I'm going down the this way only aisle and someone like cut me off, I'm not like, jerk, I have rights. I was here first and smash them with the card. By the way, here's a wordless book, right? Like that would not be a good testimony, right? I mean, I'm in the aisle, you know, I'm, I'm going checking out, and I feel like, hey, I'm pretty sure I was here first. I don't know why you think you can just cut in front of me, dude, right? I'm like, no, like this is, and I'm, I'm seeing them through the lens of, this is a soul who has an eternal destination. They're going to go one of two ways, and how can I, through my actions and my words, point them to Jesus Christ? And so it was really cool. I, I got 14 people saved in line. It was amazing. There's this mass revival in Walmart. And I'll just tell you, it was to God be the glory. No. Um, but I'll tell you what, it was the most patient and gentle and kind I've ever been in Walmart, uh, which is not always easy. That, that's the grace of God, right? I put $1,000 in the Salvation Army thing. It was just a great day. Uh, but we think about this in the light of the pandemic, right? Like we have, man, as believers, we're called to let our little light shine. 
And listen, I'm not here interested in telling you whether or not you should wear a mask, how you carry some of these things out, right? I'm really not, that's not central to, to my message and what the Word of God is trying to talk about. But what I'm here to tell you about is the Word of God does inform how we make our decisions. It talks about our motives. It talks about our goals and our priorities. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that our focus needs to be on making disciples of Jesus. Our focus needs to be on reaching the lost and growing the found. We have limited time, right? Short breath here on earth. Let's make sure that we're focusing on the right things. Now, the question is, are you willing? Are you, wi- are you even willing? Let's just even talk about our attitudes. I'm not even telling you what we do. Are you willing to lay down a right freedom, or a comfort for the sake of leading someone to Jesus. Paul's heart, his Christ-like heart, should be ours. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm allowed to do anything, or all things are waffles, is what he said, but not everything is beneficial. Because there are certain things that I can do. I'm not breaking any law, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things that I could do that are not beneficial. They're not excellent. They're not the, the best thing that I could do to point someone to Jesus. And, and go back to what is the best thing? He said a chapter earlier, what we read, I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Right? That, that was Paul's motivating. It was the carrot that dangled in front of him. And what was the result? What was the result of Timothy getting circumcised? The churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. People came to know Jesus and grew in their faith. All of their effort was poured into that goal. Whatever it takes, as long as it's in accordance with God and his word and his plan for me. This marked the beginning of how Paul and Timothy met. It was centered around the person and work of Jesus. And their goal was to point people to him together. And that's what we're going to see in these letters. It's all about life in God's household. How do we live together in a way that is a testimony, a light to the world? We conduct ourselves in a manner that makes much of Jesus. So I want you to think about your week. How, how does this coming week in, in the, the time that I spend, the conversations that I have, the emotions that I display, the energy that I expend, the resources that I utilize, what is it for? It, it, I'm free to, to what, do what I want or do what Jesus has called me to? Am I exercising and demanding my rights and freedoms and comforts? Or am I doing everything I can to remove any distraction, to be the clearest window possible so that people would see hear the gospel, and know the freedom that comes with knowing Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for Jesus. We celebrate this time of year. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus showed us the way forward. An unpopular message that got him killed. But through that death, he brought many sons to glory. Father, we're called to follow Jesus. And each of us in this room are called to lay down our lives, lay down our rights, lay down our comforts, lay down our freedoms, just like Jesus did in heaven. Did not demand those things, but emptied himself, became like us in human form, so that we might know you. Father, I pray that our motivation would be the love of Jesus, that we would, maybe maybe for some of my brothers and sisters in this room, it's, it's changing the, the way that they talk in their, in their workplace at home. These are not conversations that are pointing people to Jesus. In fact, they're putting up barriers and, and creating distractions. Maybe it's their focus. Maybe, maybe there are those who've been living for themselves. The, the temporary, the here and now, Lord, this is a vapor in light of eternity. 
Father, I pray that our heart's motivation would be to make much of Jesus in our lives, in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we live before a watching world. But Father, we can only do that by your grace. You've saved us by your grace. You grow us by your grace. So we fall fully on the person of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And Father, we sing this next song as a way to say that's, that's our message. That's what we believe. That's our only hope. And that is the hope that we offer to this dark world. May our lights shine in the beautiful name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray and we go. Amen.